Well, there's definitely a different feel in the room this morning than there was last night. I felt like God last night was redeeming honor in his house. And today, this morning, I feel Holy Spirit is just releasing like the sweet love of a father. It's just a sweet sense of how a father loves a small child, how I love my small children. That's why I just feel the Holy Spirit releasing in the room. And as I unpack this message that God's given to me, I want you guys to invite the Holy Spirit into that. Ponder on that, wonder that, wonder on that of how I am a small child to God, to Father God. I am like a small child, and I am his child. I am his son, I am his daughter. And yeah, it's Father's Day, but this is how we live every day of our lives, as a small child. And I love this word, these scriptures, his holy word. I love it. I cannot tell you how much I love his word. If you've been around me long enough and he starts speaking to me, the Lord starts speaking to me, he gives me a lot of scripture, a lot of scripture. And, he, and I love it, but he also wears me out at the same time because it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. And it's like this sermon, to, I was going to say tonight, but this morning, it's a lot to unpack. So it's a journey. This is a journey, and I just invite you to come along with me, along with the Holy Spirit, along with Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Father God, all three. And last night, my dad was in the room. My dad was here, which was awesome for me, and I honored him. I honored my grandfather. I honored the patriarchs of the faith, and I honor them today as well. And when I speak of my grandpa, which was a preacher, and my dad, who is a preacher, that is my legacy, that is my heritage. But each and every one of you here tonight also have that heritage. You also have that. Because the patriarchs of our faith is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. <laughs> and even in the scriptures, God's name is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a dozen times in the Bible where it refers to this. In Exodus 3, 14 through 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, like I was saying earlier, the God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. God says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So everything that I just told you guys, God stamped that. That's in these scriptures. This isn't his word. And as I was praying into this message last night, 
um, more like yesterday afternoon, the Holy Spirit took me on a journey again. I was like, I already have my message written. I know what I'm going to preach about. And he's like, tell them this. And I'm like, okay, tell them what? Tell your people what? And he's like, tell them, do you remember the first time you've heard of God? The first time you heard who God was? Think about that right now. When was the first time that you heard of God? If you're like me, I grew up in church. That's my testimony. There's, I, I, I would say that I, there was never a time that I don't remember who God was. My grandpa showed me. My dad showed me. And my grandpa used to say this awesome story, and I forgot all about this until yesterday. My grandpa used to set me down and tell me this story. He used to tell this to everybody. My wife talked about this last night. She remembered this as well. He told her this story too. But he, I remember one of my first memories of God was my grandpa sitting in his chair and me sitting underneath him. I was the firstborn grandson, so you know, special rights there. <laughs> but he set me down and he told me a story. And it's like, you're sitting down, and like, he's about to give me gold. Yes, like, I'm on every word, he says, I'm at the edge of my seat. And he says, this little boy came up to me and said, do you know God's name? And of course, my grandpa, being a preacher for a long time and being in God's word, told him the same thing I told you. Yeah, his name is I am. His name is the God of Jacob. His name is Jesus. He's God the Father. And he's like, no. His name is Andy. Andy, where's that? Like, I've never heard that. He says, the little boy says, yes, his name is Andy. He's like, well, show me. Where, where, where did you hear that? <laughs> and my grandpa told me that this little boy told him, Andy walks with me, and Andy talks with me. <laughs> Andy tells me I am his own. And if you grew up in church... Or if you've heard this before, the song, He Walks With Me, the lyrics are, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever been known. So my grandpa tells me this, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, he thought that was the funniest thing ever. And it didn't take, it didn't hit me until yesterday what he was really getting at there when he's telling me that. Yes, that's a story that I will remember forever. That's something that I can cling on to. That's something that you guys can cling on to today. But it's also all the little songs that we learned as kids in Sunday school. If you even went to church or if you didn't even go to church, this is your heritage they're important. They're important moments in your life. The song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. Yes, Jesus Loves Me. For the Bible tells me so. Hmm. That's a foundation that can go forever. Even the lyrics of He Walks With Me. And He Walks With Me. And He Talks With Me. And He Tells Me I Am His Own. And the joy that we share me and God share together. 
as we tarry there in this moment, in his presence, none other has ever been known. That's my heritage, and that's my legacy. Because I'm a son of the Most High. Not only am I a son of my earthly grandfather and father, but my heavenly father. But even if you don't have that heritage that I'm talking about, if you didn't have a father or a grandfather that went to church, you still have a father in heaven. Yes, my grandpa and my dad showed me. They showed me God. They showed me what it looks like to be a Christian, be like Jesus. They showed me this. But I still had to figure it out on my own. It's like, that's an awesome legacy, awesome testimony. But it didn't take me that quick to get it. It's like, I got saved when I was 13. My grandpa preached a message that was hellfire and brimstone, and I had conviction. Holy Spirit was all over me. I knew I was lost. I was going to hell. I asked Jesus into my heart, forgiveness of sins, the eternity, the hope of heaven. Yes, it was an outpouring of <laughs> emotional emotions that I came up front and gave my heart to the Lord, fully born again. But I, in that moment, I had no idea what that meant for me. I knew that I was lost and going to hell. And when I gave my heart to Jesus, I didn't give him my full heart. I just wanted forgiveness of sins. I didn't become a full son. I mean, that was my promise. That was my inheritance in that, to be a son. I was fully a son, but I did, had to become a son. I had to walk it out. I had to know my identity, what I am as a son in Christ. And every time you hear me say son, I mean daughter as well. I just want to make that clear. It's a child. We are a child of God. So when did this start? All of this inheritance, all of this legacy, all this patriotical covenant, when did it start? It started with Abraham. And Father God promises Abraham that he will become a nation of people, that, he, that his descendants will outnumber the stars. And as he promises, it has many parts. And you have to, this leads us into a total picture of grace and redemption. This covenant follows the Noahic covenant in which the Lord promises to preserve the created order. God maintained the place in which he can fulfill his redemptive purpose. And as of last night, the, the tone of last night, what the Holy Spirit was doing in the room, and I feel like it's still the pattern that he wants to go after, and I want him to, I want us to go after this as well as this, when we're going through this message is that our God is a redeemer, that he redeems. Anything that you've done, he's redeemed. His name, one of God's name is redeemer. Can everybody say, our God is a redeemer? Our God is a redeemer. 
Our God is a redeemer. Yes, so this covenant with Abraham is a covenant of grace in that it brings about the redemptive purpose. It does so by making a separate nation out of Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people. And through Isaac and through Jacob, there's 12 tribes of Israel, which is the 12 sons of Jacob. And one of those tribes leads to the promised Messiah, which is Jesus. God even started this covenantal blessing even before this, though. He started this with Adam. In Genesis 1.28, he says to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply the earth, adding that they were to exercise dominion over creation. So he gives Adam and Eve this blessing. And then he gives Noah the blessing as well. As, and then he gives it to Abraham. And he says to Abraham in Genesis 12 through 1 through 3, God promised him that he would multiply his descendants as the stars in the sky. He would be their God and give them a specific piece of land forever. Yet even before that, like I said, God gave this to Adam and to Noah. But what is a blessing? It's like we've heard that word, bless. I've grown up in church. I've heard that forever. What is, it's like, God bless you when somebody sneezes. It's like we half-heartedly say that. But do we really need, know what that means? When we're up here saying, I pray blessings over you. Do you fully grasp what that is? And the, the definition of this blessing, according to the dictionary, is an act or word of one that blesses or a thing conductive to happiness or welfare. In the Bible, there are several words that are usually translated as blessing or bless. The Hebrew word most often translated bless is barak, which can mean to praise, congratulate, or salute. So when I say I bless you, it's saying I congratulate you, I salute you. I look at you as you are a child of God. And I champion you just the way that God champions you. Because you are his son, his daughter. That is what I mean when I say blessing. And we see this blessing passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And I love this word, and I could go on all day about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac's story is not, I wouldn't focus on that, but Jacob's story. (laughs) (laughs) Isaac, I'm I'm just going to, Isaac was, I don't really want to go down this, but I feel Holy Spirit wants me to. Isaac was a complacent father. Isaac had all of the blessings, all of the inheritance that Abraham had. Now, when we talk about the story of Abraham and Isaac, everybody knows about God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right? And God provides a sacrifice for him. He doesn't. He just wants to see if he's going to obey him, 
if he will do it. Because he made Isaac an idol. Abraham loved Isaac more than he did God. So God asked him to sacrifice his son. Which is a prophetic act. It, it all leads to Jesus. This is God showing, showing us that Jesus, his son, will be crucified. He will die for our sins. He will, that is showing us that. But Isaac's story in the scriptures is like a blip. He never fully walks into fatherhood. He lets Jacob and Isaac, his two sons, basically have at it. They don't like each other. You could say they hate each other. It doesn't say that in the scriptures, but you can see. You can read the context between that. Jacob is like Abraham. Jacob understands the blessing. He understands what... He understands the importance that, that God's blessings and inheritance is for him as being a son of Abraham. Not of Isaac, but of Abraham. And he's willing to fight for the blessing. He lies, he cheats, he steals, he dresses up like his brother Esau. He puts like hair on his arms because Esau's a hairy man. He puts it like on his back and his dad is half blind. Isaac is half, is half blind and he doesn't know it's Jacob. But he wants the firstborn blessing. And Jacob was the younger brother. In those times, you needed to be the firstborn to get the double inheritance. Yes, this, the younger son gets an inheritance, but the firstborn, they get the double portion, the double blessing. Not only do they get the covenantal blessing that's going down through the patriarchy, the promise of God, but they are also getting double the stuff. It's like us today, you can think of that as like a will. If you sign a will over, my kid, when I die, my kids get this, this inheritance. So Jacob wanted the double blessing, not the stuff. He wanted the spiritual blessing. So he lies, cheats, and steals to get it. His, his father, Isaac, give him, gives him the blessing. And once it's done, it can't be undone. So Jacob runs from Esau because Esau's ready to kill him. He under, like, you just stole my blessing, even though I sold it to you <laughs> earlier in the scriptures. But he's running from his brother Esau. And God shows Jacob this awesome vision, this awesome dream. And if you know the story of Jacob, it's the Jacob's ladder. It's the great vision of the angels descending and ascending in heaven. And God, at the top of this ladder, gives him a promise. The same promise he gives to Abraham. So not only did Isaac with the laying on hands giving the blessing, but it took God himself too to confirm that. So Father God spoke to him and he said, Father God spoke to him concerning the blessing that he had spoken to his, his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. Jacob would now carry on the same promise that they had. 
but it was he who would be chosen to be the father of this great nation of God's people. And he wanted to establish that. So later on in his life, he also has another experience, another encounter with God, with Father God. He literally wrestles with the embodiment, the manifestation of God himself. And he wrestles him until God blesses him again. It's like, did you need more of a blessing? That's like, that's what I'm thinking in my mind. He's like, I'm going to wrestle you until you bless me. He didn't know it was God in the moment. He thought that it was just this man (laughs) that's in the dark. He's wrestling with him. And finally, God submits to Jacob. It's in the scriptures. He says, yes, I will bless you more. It's the double blessing. It's more of a blessing. Jacob understood this blessing. And even God, to get Jacob to stop, it's like our kids when they want something. It's like my sons when they want something. It's like this is literally what Jacob is doing with God here. It's like God is leg, and he's like, I'm not letting go until I get this. Until I get this piece of candy, or I get this new game, or I get this whatever your kids are into. I'm not letting go. So God submits and says, yes, I'll bless you again. But with this blessing comes more responsibility. This blessing, he has a name change to Israel. And he becomes a nation, God's chosen people. Yes, God chose Abraham, but it's through Jacob that this blessing manifests. And it's through his 12 sons. So we're looking at this covenantal blessing that's going down through the line, the patriarchs of our faith, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And we get to Jacob's 12 sons. And Jacob's, out of the 12 sons, Jacob has a favorite, and it's Joseph. And all the other brothers know it. They know Joseph is daddy's favorite. He has this coat of many collars. He has these awesome prophetic dreams of he's greater than all his other brothers. Could you imagine that? It's like having a younger brother because Joseph was the second youngest. It's like, I'm the greatest. It's like Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. Walking around, it's like, dude, you need to shut up. It's like, I'm over that. That was an older brother. And of course, Reuben as being the firstborn, he's he's thinking, I get the firstborn blessing. But that's not the way that God works, because those are traditions of man. The firstborn blessing is a tradition made by man. So Joseph is going around telling everybody he's the greatest, and his brothers sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery, which is terrible. But God is a redeemer right? Like we said earlier, God is a redeemer. So out of this awful act, Joseph goes into Egypt as a slave. But what does he come out as? He's second in command of all of Egypt. Hmm. 
So that gets to where I want to go to today. I want to talk about Joseph's two sons. And if you can see this picture behind me, these are his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh and Ephraim. And that's where I'm going to spend most of our time here today talking about. And Joseph hears that his father Jacob is about to die. And he wants to bring his sons to see his father. They have never met their grandfather Jacob. So in Genesis 48, because I love the scriptures, I love this book. So I'm going to read all of Genesis 48. So I want you guys to bear with me, but I'm getting somewhere with this. So starting in verse 1 in Genesis 48, if you want to follow along on the screens or in your Bible, it says, Sometimes late, Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in the bed. And notice this in the scriptures where it goes back and forth where it calls him Jacob and Israel. Just take note of that. So in verse 3, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Lutz. He's telling him, He's reaffirming the blessing. He's reaffirming what God told him, the promises. God Almighty appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. And he said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt... Before I came to you here, I will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simon are mine. I want to skip down to verse 8. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, just like his father Isaac, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down to his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger and crossing his arms. He put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name 
in the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. The firstborn blessing. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it to Ephraim's head, to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this is the one that is the firstborn, but your right hand is on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim and head of Manasseh. So you grasp what he's saying here. Jacob is adopting his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as his own and replacing Reuben, his own firstborn, with Ephraim and replacing his secondborn, Simon, with Joseph's oldest son, Manasseh, treating his grandsons as sons. It also meant here that Joseph was getting the double portion blessing. He was the next in line for patriarchal covenant blessing. But you can see that even Joseph, who is the younger, still gets upset about man-made traditions of firstborn blessing. In verse 21, it says that Joseph says, oh, okay. So Joseph was upset. And in verse 28, or 48 and 21, just to reiterate that the double portion, I want to get that straight before I go to the, this part. It says that, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have been giving to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. That's where I wanted to talk about the double blessing, where Joseph is getting the double blessing. As a result of Jacob does here, Joseph becomes two tribes. He blessed these two boys and adopted them as his own sons. And in the process, Joseph was elevated to patriarch status, like I said before. That's why you don't hear about the tribes, the tribe of Joseph moving forward. I've always pondered that. I always wondered that. Like, why do we not hear of the tribe of Joseph? We hear about the tribe of Judah. We hear about the tribe of Ephraim, but we never hear about the tribe of Joseph. This is why. So Manasseh was the firstborn. And if you see here in this picture, it depicts what we just read. Jacob is going like this knowingly doing this. The right hand was the dominant hand in this. If you would bless the firstborn blessing, you would use your right hand. Jacob knew this. Joseph knew this. That was the traditions of the time. So Jacob takes his right hand and puts it on Ephraim's head and his left hand. He crosses it like this. He gives Ephraim the youngest son the double blessing as well. 
and he prophesies. He prophesies here that Ephraim will be greater than Manasseh. It's basically being like Joseph, where Joseph said, I'm the greatest. He's saying Ephraim will be the greatest. So Jacob keeps breaking this norm of the firstborn. He gives this blessing to the younger brother Ephraim. Even though this tradition that I'm talking about here, and Joseph gets upset about it, this is how God works. God doesn't work through man-made traditions. Abraham gave this blessing to Isaac. Isaac was not the firstborn. Ishmael was. Isaac gives this blessing to Jacob. Jacob was not the firstborn. Esau was. Jacob gives this blessing to Joseph. He's not the firstborn. And now we're seeing it go to the younger brother, Ephraim, Joseph's youngest son. There seems to be a pattern here in Scripture. So whenever Jacob prophesies over Ephraim, he tells him he will become a group of nations of nations. The Lord highlighted that to me. He says, he told, I was asking him, why is that sticking out, that he will become a group of nations? And I studied more into this. In other translations, it says, in this translation, in the KJV, my grandpa's, it says, it will be a he will be a multitude of nations, or he will grow into many nations. And the original Hebrew is Melohahim, which literally speaking, speaking, it means the fullness of the Gentiles. So Ephraim himself, getting the double blessing, the younger, Jacob is prophesying over him that he will be the fullness of the Gentiles. That just seems really off. A Gentile is a non-Jewish person. That's what, if you don't have Hebrew blood, if you're not from huh, the tribe of Judah or Benjamin, you are considered a Gentile. Not if you're from all of Israel here, the other 10 tribes that I've been talking about. That's interesting. So right here, Ephraim, in this prophetic act, is me, is you, is all of us. This blessing, by doing this blessing, he crosses his arms. He crosses his arms. What does it point to? It's the cross. It's Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus here that us as Gentiles have the double blessing. This covenantal blessing, this Father's double blessing. You're like probably thinking, Matt, how can you say that? that he's giving it to Ephraim. He prophesies over him that will become a multitude 
of nations, that he will become the fullness of the Gentiles. Paul talks about this in Romans. He talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. But if you look through history of Ephraim, not Ephraim himself, but Ephraim is a tribe. The nation of of Israel is 12 tribes. Ephraim is one of them. And it becomes the greatest nation through history. And if you look at Moses, who was his predecessor? It was Joshua. Joshua was an Ephraimite. He conquered Canaan through his leadership and through the tribe of Ephraim's leadership, they conquered Canaan. They took the promised land, not Moses, Ephraim. And Ephraim rose to be great, even as much so that they conquered, they they had so much political influence, I should say, that Israel breaks into two nations, two families, north and the south. There was a civil war in the scriptures. In the book of Judges, it talks about that how Israel breaks into two nations, the northern and the southern. Israel is the northern ten tribes, which is Ephraim, Manasseh, so forth. The southern is Judah and Benjamin. And they changed their name to Judea. Interesting. Post-Solomon in the scriptures, in the kings, they refer to Israel, the northern tribes, as Ephraim. Interesting, right? I know you all guys probably think I'm, I'm giving the history lesson up here. I love these scriptures. So bear with me. It gets better. It gets better. So the 10 northern tribes, because of idol worship that Solomon brought into the temple, and then also because of unrighteousness, God the Father pulls his favor from them. They are conquered by Assyria. And when they are conquered by Assyria, they are deported. These ten tribes are kicked out. And they are assimilated, they marry into, over a time period, into the Assyrian nation, which is 120 nations. Out of this, over the time period, those ten tribes, those ten children of Jacob, are lost. They're lost to this day. You and I could be a descendant of the 10 lost tribes and not even know it because this happened 725 BC. So this prophecy that Jacob gives that he will become a multitude, that Ephraim will become a multitude of Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles, happens. We see it play out. And even Hebrews And even the Jewish people today, the word Jewish comes from Judah. If you cannot trace your lineage, your bloodline to the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Benjamin, they don't consider you 
a full-blood Jew, like Israel, God's chosen, because the ten northern ones are lost. But our God's a redeemer, right? Like we talked about at the beginning. Because these Gentiles are us. Me and you. So through this, because we even see this play out in the scriptures in the New Testament, we hear about the story of the Good Samaritan, and we hear about John and James when they're in Samaria. They're the, they're the brothers of thunder, and they want to rain down fire. They want to kill Samaria. They, these Samaritans, they, it's like they have a hatred for Samaritans. John and James were from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. So they hated the northern tribes. Samaria, Samaritans, they were believers. They were, part, they were God's chosen, but they are part of the ten lost tribes. Think of it like this. When the United States, we had our civil war, the north and the south. Think of it that way, as in how the north would have treated the south after they destroyed them, after we conquered, after the north, after north won like they conquered the South. Even though they're our brothers, it took a long time for that to be healed. That's the same way here with the Samaritans. So we see that play out. They want to kill their brothers. Rain down fire on them because of disrespect. So all of this that I just said, all of this is context. All of this is backstory. All of it. All of it, this is a story. This is not just a story. This is my history. If you're a believer, if you are a Christian, this is your story. From the beginning to the end, from the end to the beginning, it's all your story. This right here, this specific Bible is my grandpa's Bible. He preached out of this Bible for 30 years. He passed and went to be with Jesus. Praise God. I miss him. I would, I would give anything to spend one more day with my grandpa here on earth and just hit record on my phone and just have that forever. But I, don't, I can't have that here. But this right here, this was my inheritance. This is what I wanted. When all of my relatives were divvying out my grandpa's things, I didn't want anything but this. And this is his second one. My dad has his first. My grandpa preached for 60 years. This is the later half of his year. My dad has the original, which barely, this is barely held. It's held together with duct tape. But this is worth its weight in gold to me. Because when I opened this up, and when Aaron was talking about Romans 8 earlier, I opened to Romans 8, and he has in, in the ledgers, in the, in the spaces in between, he has scriptures highlighted. He has things written on it. That is me spending another day with my grandpa. 
So this is, this is all a story about me. So when I say I love this, I love it. People pay money to see their ancestral DNA, the ancestral DNA stuff. Pay a lot of money to know where did I come from, where did I go? And I even thought about that, man, I'd like to know where I came from. I'd like to know my sons between me and my wife, Melissa, where like that line of togetherness of that one flesh. I'd love to see that, like I've thought that. But then the Lord has checked me and says, it's right here. It's right here. So if you ever wonder where you came from, read it, read it, love it, take it. My grandpa spoke this to me. My grandpa preached this to me for 20 years. I might not remember one sermon that he ever gave, but I remember Andy. (laughs) Because it is written on my heart. Holy Spirit brings it out when it's needed. When I'm in a moment of, I don't know what's going on. I'm in, I'm in a moment of despair, and I call upon God. I say, I wish I had my grandfather here. I wish I had that spiritual father again. Can you please, God, send that to me? And he said, I already did. I already did. And when I read Romans 8, like Aaron said, this morning it gets me all pumped up because that's my inheritance and we'll get into that more later on in this sermon so all of this story all the backstory this is the covenantal progression for the double blessing it's all about you this is your heritage this is your inheritance like Ephraim and Joseph We also have the blessing of the double portion, even though we are the younger brother. (laughs) So through the cross, when Jacob crosses his arms, we are adopted. All of us are adopted, just like Ephraim and Manasseh. In Romans 11, Paul compares Israel and the Gentile believers to branches of an olive tree. Some of the natural branches, Israel, were broken off. And the wild branches, the Gentiles, were grafted in. The Gentiles then have been made partakers of the promises and and inherit the blessing of God's salvation. So do you think it was a coincidence that I keep talking about the cross where Jacob crossed his arms. Holy Spirit knew that this moment needed to be pointing to the cross, needed to be pointing to Jesus. Because we are adopted, we receive the same inheritance, the promise that Father God will always be with us and that we can freely come into his presence at any time. In Romans 8, 17, Paul says, Now if we are the children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, 
in order that we may also share in his glory. So according to this verse, we share in the sufferings of Christ now and will share in the glory of Christ later as his co-heirs or joint heirs. The term heirs of God talks about our relationship to God the Father as his children. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven. First Peter 1.4 talks about this. The Greek term translated for heirs in Romans 8, 17 refers to those who receive their allotted possession by right of sonship. In other words, because God has made us his children in John 1, 12, we have full rights to receive his inheritance. We are his sons and his daughters. See Matthew 25. In Romans 8, 29, for those God who foreknew he had also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In this verse, it says that Jesus is the firstborn son. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. He is the natural firstborn of the father. God said to him, you are my son today. I have became your father. Christ's inheritance is the whole universe, all in existence. Hebrews 1-2 says that the son has been appointed heir of all things. Being a co-heir with Christ means that we, as God's adopted children, we share in the inheritance of Jesus that belongs to Jesus. What belongs to Jesus will also belong to us. Christ gives us glory in John 17, 22, his riches in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and all things in Hebrews 1, 2. We are as welcome in God's family at God's table as Jesus is. We are accepted and in beloved, as Ephesians 1, 6 says, all things that belong to Jesus Christ belong to us. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Galatians 4, 7. Keep going with this. Think of all that that means. Everything that God owns belongs to us, as well as because we belong to him. Our internal inheritance as co-heirs with Christ is the result of this amazing grace of God. In Ephesians 2, 13, it says, in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God took us poor orphans in this world and made us a part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ. He has showered us with his blessings and promised us eternal inheritance based on the worthiness of Christ himself. So what does that all mean? Right here, when Jacob crosses his arms, Jesus is like Manasseh, and we are like Ephraim. We receive the double blessing. Not Jesus, the firstborn. Us, as the adopted, the grafted in, the younger son, the younger daughter. We, God puts us before Jesus here in this prophetic moment. 
let that sink in for a minute. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves me more than he loves Jesus. He loves you more than he loves Jesus. My mind cannot comprehend that. But that's what this says. In this prophetic moment, this is what it's showing. We are to God like Jesus is, even more so. He created me in you. He created Adam and Eve, and he loved you so much at the beginning. He let his son come and die for you. This is a prophetic act. What Joseph is doing here was an unction from the Holy Spirit that birthed supernatural power from generation to generation to generation to generation. This is all about me and you. And I've seen this play out in my, my life. Last fall, at our revivals, I preached my first message, and it was about the Elijah mantle. And if you didn't hear that message, I'm going to give you a real quick Elijah's another one, just like Jacob, that I could talk all night about, or all day, and I'll spare you that. But the Elijah mantle, the Malachi prophecy, is that Elijah will return. And he will return the hearts of the fathers to the sons and daughters, and the sons and daughters' hearts to the father. I also preached about the double blessing, the double portion, Elisha asks his spiritual father, Elijah, for a double portion. This is the same blessing that Elisha's asking for, this spiritual double portion blessing. God is asking for obedience. In, the, in a prophetic act, when you're feeling the Holy Spirit and he says for you to do something. And for me, it started out as just to lift my hand during worship. That was a prophetic act for me. Like, Matt, that's ridiculous. Like, how is that a prophetic act? Well, if you're like me, Matt, or Matthew, <laughs> I used to suffer with severe social anxiety. My worst fear in life was this right here, public speaking. I wouldn't do it in high school. I wouldn't do it in college. I suffered through it when I had to get a grade to graduate speech class. But that was the worst thing ever for me. And the fear of man of what people think of me. So me raising my, my hand during worship of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is saying, raise your hand as obedience. That was like death. It's like, mm, no way. It's not happening. 
So I used to worship like this. But I came into this church during one of Open Heaven's special nights during a hosting his presence, and I came in fully open to receive, and God healed me that night of my social anxiety, my crippling social anxiety. In that moment, he also revealed to me with a baptism of love that I am a son. Now, you heard me talk about earlier when I was 13, I gave my heart to the Lord. I was a son, yes, but I wasn't fully a son. I didn't walk into that. I didn't become a son until last year, or I should say the fall of 20. 21, the fall of 2021. That's when I was healed. That's when God gave me a baptism of love. So if you see me here up here today, if you have, didn't know me before, the people who did know me before, know this is my worst fear. They know when you see me hugging people, when I'm giving you a hug, I'm known as the hugger here now. Matt, Matthew, would have not done that previously. That is my worst fear. Going to somebody and having the fear of rejection that they might say, no thanks. But that is God working through me. Matt doesn't want to do that. God wants to do that. So when he says, go out and love on my sons and daughters, because it's in that moment too, when I, he gave me a baptism of love, he also reworked my mind and how I view his sons and daughters, I see them as little kids. I see each one of you. When I look out here right now, I see each one of you as a small child, as his son and his daughter, just like it is over in kids. That's how it looks in here, because you guys are all children of God, and that's how I see each and every one of you. It doesn't matter what you've done. You could have done the, the worst of the worst. I still see you that way. You know why? That's how God sees you. He gave me spiritual vision for that. So back to the story of small acts, small prophetic acts, raising my hand. So it started with that. God healed me, and then God started asking for obedience. Raise your hands during worship. No, Lord, I go like this. This is how I used to worship. No, no, no. That's not what I want. Okay. Raise my hands. Yes. One hand. Two hands. All of the things. And he says, get on your face during worship. It's like, God, that's weird. <laughs> people don't do that. I now know that people do do that. But at that time, we, that wasn't the culture here. And God said, Get on your face during worship. I gave you my unconditional yes. So if you say to do that, okay, that's what I'll do. I will do that. And now that he blessed me, he gave me spiritual gifts, he gave me a spirit of intercession, a gift of intercession, and to also travail for people. So out of that, I travail. I, I am burdened for others' burdens. I partner with God 
with what his sons and daughters are going through. And my heart gets destroyed every time in a good way. So I get on my face during worship. That's how I worship God. If you see me up here on my face, that's, what, if, that's the way I worship Jesus. That's how I praise him. So he says, get on your face during worship. Okay. Wave a flag during worship. That happened last year. I don't know if you guys were in the service. I grabbed a flag. <laughs> I think there's a picture of it. I grabbed a flag and was waving a flag during worship. Those were all prophetic acts. But the Lord is setting me up. He wanted small acts of obedience to get me to preach. He called me to preach when I was 13. When I got saved, a couple weeks after that, I wrote my first sermon. I gave it to my dad and my grandpa. But I didn't want it. I told him no. I wrote my first sermon. I gave it. I can't even tell you what it was. I know it was about a dragon in Revelation, the enemy. So it felt really weird at the time. My dad probably has that sermon. Um, but he called me to preach, and I told him no. So from 13 to 39, I suppressed that call. But my good and loving Father in heaven knew that he had to do this in progression. It's progressive. It's smaller acts of obedience that lead to the full manifestation of what he has created you for as a son and daughter. So I preached my first message about the double portion, about Elijah. Me and Melissa at the time, my wife Melissa, were praying for another baby. We were praying for a baby girl. We have two older sons. We were praying for a girl. And I was done. I was content. I was content with having two sons. I, I felt like I didn't need any more kids. But my wife had a longing for, for more. And we partnered together and we prayed. And I was still unsure. But then the Lord gave me during a, during a nap a dream of a little baby, a dark-haired baby, just brushing my beard. Just, I'm like, okay, I'm sold. Like, this baby girl is just rubbing on my beard. Okay, I'm sold. So we started trying to have a baby. So when I preached my first message, we were already trying. And it took us seven years to get pregnant with our first Parker. So we figured it would take some time so we figured it would take, I don't know, six months, a year. I don't know. So we were just praying, and about a month goes by after I preached, and God told me, it's a double blessing. It's twins. I'm like, oh, gosh. I'm praying for a girl. It's a double portion and a double blessing. It's twins. So I'm trying to explain this away. So um, I was telling people, oh, somebody's pregnant right now at the same time as Melissa. Somebody's going to get pregnant at the same time as Melissa, and they're going to carry these babies like Mary and Elizabeth. And yes, 
That's what it is. That's what this is. Uh, it's not, Melissa's, we're not going to get pregnant with twins. The next day, literally the next day, it was a Saturday that I had this, that God gave me this. The next day on a Sunday, Melissa took a pregnancy test and she was pregnant. And she came into church and she was waving it around. I found out 10 minutes before the whole church found out. Everybody's like, how do you feel about it? I'm like, I don't even know. Oh, it's like, this is awesome. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Like, first and foremost, yes. But then I'm like, I got I to gotta be a dad again. I got I to gotta prepare myself. It's been 10 years. I'm older. I'm older, Dad. I'm 40 now. I was 39 then. <clears throat> Not 40 yet. <laughs> but anyway... So I'm like, I'm still explaining this away. Like everybody's like, oh, it's twins. You said it was gonna be twins. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't think so. Explaining it away. So I don't know. It was 16 weeks later. God sh- showed me. He said it's a double portion of everlasting joy, Amen. and it's like, okay. And when I need confirmation on something, and when the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. When I, he wants to make it very clear. He gives me a scripture. He'll say a, he'll say a phrase. I'll hear a phrase in my spirit, and it'll be in this scripture. So this scripture, because remember he said it's going to be a double portion of everlasting joy. In Isaiah 61, 7, he said it, Isaiah 61, 7, specifically, Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. So it's like, I can't even explain this away. And, then, and a week after that, Melissa sends me a picture where she goes to her first ultrasound, and it's twins. Which everybody here probably already knew that story, knew the twins part. You guys, they're here today. Melissa has them back there. They're born. It, so we knew it was twins now. And then I can't even deny that because now I have a picture of it. I have a photo. It's like, oh, man, this is so weird. It's like, okay. <laughs> so we go... For the gender reveal, like where you go and they show you what you're having, boy or girl, and we're like, we're having one girl. We've been, we prayed for the girl, so we're getting that girl. We have a 50-50 chance here. We got two. And during the ultrasound, they say, it's two boys. And we're like, awesome. We're excited. We're happy, of course. But it's like, what does that mean? So I'm kind of, I'm quite, I'm not, I'm praying to God, like, what does this all mean? What's this mean for me? Like, this is all sons. I preach a message about the importance of being a father, of being a man. And he's giving me four sons. For me to be a father of four sons. So Melissa's still with the doctor's. I'm in the waiting room, and I'm praying, Lord, what does this mean? And he gives me, he was the most clear he's ever been to me. 
He gave me a mission, a mission statement for my life. And I want to read it to you guys today. Because I, don't, I feel like this is mine, but this is for all of us as fathers. This is just not my word. This is for all of you fathers to hear. He told me, you are raising sons to be loving fathers. Your mission on this earth is to disciple sons who longer and thirst for the presence of Father God. Laid down lovers of his son, Jesus, fully embracing intimacy with the Holy Spirit. These sons will live free of the burdens of this world to become empowered fathers of the one living God to live in all the goodness and riches of heaven. He said, this is your inheritance. That's heavy. I was a weepy mess. That's a heavy burden that I am going to be a father of sons, loving fathers. That's out of the norm today to see loving fathers. That day, or yeah, later on that day, he, he was still speaking that day. He said, Matt, he doesn't call me Matthew, he calls me Matt. <laughs> he says, Matt, the blessing is in the doing. He said, Melissa was pregnant at the time. He says, every word from God is pregnant with blessings that are released based upon your obedience. So this is my inheritance, this mission statement that I just said. But it's all based on me. It's all based on my obedience. He also told me to read James 1. And it says, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Whoever inve investigates the perfect law that gives freedom and does it will be blessed in what they do. The perfect law. Whoever investigates, whoever researches, whoever looks into this word will receive the blessings in all that they do. I stood still for many years. Like I told you guys, when I was 13, I was called to preach. It took me until I was 39 to go where God was trying to get me when I was 13. Now, when I was 13, I was not ready. I did not understand. I was desiring the roadmap before I even set foot on the journey. I stood in place for years, and as a result, I accomplished the bare minimum. I just waited in complacency for those years when I had been given the access to Father's heart, the Father's heart, for everything, for anything. All I had to do was ask. All I had to do was do. The Holy Spirit has given me the revelation that the mind of man plans it this way, that the enemy 
has twisted our mind to think that we have to wait for God, that we're waiting on him. Meaning we have learned to dream this way. The enemy has, made, has taught us to dream this way. I didn't learn to think about who God made me to be. It's not about everything coming to me. It's about me contributing in such a way that there's influence because I'm alive in Christ. The mind of man still plans it this way, but the Lord wants to direct every step. It's thinking in God's terms, and then the Lord comes along and he says, all right, this is the direction, and here's the steps. And I gave this analogy last night, and I didn't have it in my notes, and I want to do it again because that was awesome. I think it's awesome. But anyway, there's this line right here on the stage, this silver line. And for many years, I took this one step when I was 13. I gave my heart to God. I stopped letting him direct my steps. And I came over here. Now at any moment, I could have went right back here. But I came over here. I came right here. And I walked my own way. I had to pave my own path. I had to learn for myself. So I walked in this anxiety, depression, unworthiness. I walked in it. And I just walked in it. Hmm. Just kept walking in it. And you know what I did while I was walking in this? I put ruts and patterns in my mind of this is who I am. Not who God created me, but this is who I am. This is who I think I am. I'm not a son. I'm unworthy of God's love. People won't like me. I'm afraid to talk to people because who knows what I'm going to say. I'm weird. Keep walking, keep walking. Doing this circle, this never-ending circle until I was 37, 38 years old. And God said, do this, and I listened. Now, right here, this line never changes. God's always waiting there. He's directing my steps, but I make the choice. I have free will. That's how much he loves us to give us free will. Because I have a choice to follow him and his steps or do my own thing. And while I'm doing this circle, while I'm making this ruts, this is the enemy. This is the spiritual warfare series that Aaron's talking about. This is what he wants. He wants us in this pit of despair. He wants us in that. The way that he, the enemy, has taught us, the way the way of man has taught our mind how to act, that we're going to walk in this circle, and I'm going to stay in this pit of despair because this is who I am. This is who the enemy wants me to be, and I'm comfortable here because I've made ruts and patterns. And that's where I'm just going to stay. Like I said in the beginning, our God is a redeemer, right? Everybody, our God is a redeemer. The first step of obedience back, boom. 
I'm right back. Where I was 13 to 38, I'm right back. All of this, none of it was wasted because I've learned. He's taught me along the way, yes, but I did not obey. I stood where he told me to go. He told me to do little acts of obedience. That's the prophetic act. You have the power. You have Jesus. As being a son, you have Jesus inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus living inside of you. And it can manifest out at any time, but you have to take the first step. You have to take the first step. Not God take the first step. You do. Because when you act out in faith, when you act out in obedience, when you do a prophetic act, I want to I talk a little bit more about prophetic acts in that. Because the prophetic act is the act of doing. So when people come up on our ministry time, like happens every weekend here, when they give a prophetic word or a word of knowledge, that's a prophetic word. That's a word from God. If you stand up to receive that prophetic word, that is the prophetic act. That is the obedience. We have seen, we've seen a man healed by just standing up and taking the first step into a, the aisle way to come up front. It's like we've seen it. It's not, this is not things that are in these scriptures from Old Testament. This is today. This is today. Don't tell me it's not possible. Don't tell me that it doesn't happen that way anymore. We've seen it happen that way, and it all is an act of obedience. So this unlearning right here, we have to unlearn this. Because you know what? That's my comfort. I go, when I was a little boy, this is, this is, I'm going to bring you guys into a little bit of my trauma, which is, some of you might laugh, but this was mine. One thing that happened when I, I don't even know how old, I was probably like four or five years old, but I was in, me and my family was eating at McDonald's, and, my, and I needed ketchup. And like I said, I had severe social anxiety. This, when I was four or five years old, I'm the same boy I was when I was 13. I was the same man I was at 38. I did not want to go up and ask for ketchup at the counter. I even struggle with that today if I have to go up for ketchup. I have to, mm, no, I'm healed. And, and then I got to walk that out. <laughs> anyway, my dad was like, my, well, my sister was, she was my bodyguard growing up. She was my older sister and anything. She was always on my side. But she was like, I'll go get it. I'll go get it. I didn't talk until I was five or six years old because she talked for me. I would talk to her and tell her, I need chocolate milk. And she'd go, Mom, Matt needs chocolate milk. So my sister was my voice. So she's like, I'll go up. And my mom and my sister are crying because my dad was like, he can be, he's got to learn to be a man. My dad was here last night when I told the story. He's like, he needs to be a man. He needs to get up there and learn how to ask for ketchup. That was a traumatic moment for me. I went up and cried my eyes out and asked for ketchup. That was a foothold, a stronghold for me. 
I had to work through that. <laughs> so this right here, this pattern of thinking, that is my comfort. I go back to that. When I go to give somebody a hug, that is not Matt. That is not me because me, I'm like, mm, I don't want to give no hugs. I don't really like to touch people, my old self. So when you see me giving you a hug, that is not me. That is God. That is Father God because he sees you as his son and daughter and he is asking me for obedience to give you a hug. That's a prophetic act every time for me. Like, man, that's ridiculous. It's truth. Right now, me standing up here, that comfort, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. But God's like, no, that is not who I made you to be. So I have to unlearn this. It's something that I have to do and we need to do daily. It's not just like this one time, bam, it happened. I'm healed of my social anxiety. And it's like, you don't think that that don't rear its head. You don't think the enemy uses that all the time for me to go right back to that. The anxiety, depression, unworthiness, fear of man, what people think of me. That is my comfort. I have to do that. I have to unlearn that daily. I have to say, no, that is not me. It's a constant inner turmoil that I have it's a constant inner turmoil that each one of you have where you've been healed. God has delivered you from something and you have to walk it out. You have to take the steps. So I want you to ask yourself these questions. Check yourself. Ask yourself, is that autopilot? Is that a default behavior? Why do I think that way? Where did that come from? Who told me that? Like I said earlier, it's that constant inner conversation of destruction, of an attachment to old patterns, old ways, old thinking. It is demonic. Everything right here, anything that's negative is not from God. That is demonic and you have the power and the authority as being a son of the Most High to walk that out and say, that is not me. That is not me. And I have the power and the authority and the spiritual warfare that Aaron, spiritual warfare teaching that Aaron's doing right now. Everything he's teaching right now is about that. It's about sonship, who God created me to be as me being a born-again Christian of Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. That is my inheritance, and I have to walk it out. God's not just going to do it for me because I want him to. I have to do it. I've heard this this way my entire life. My dad has said it. My grandpa has preached it. Father God knows every one of you by name. He knows the hairs that are numbered on your head. God looks upon you as though you were the only person in the whole universe. He sees you and you alone on that cross. Jesus had the capacity to think of you and he loved you enough to stay on that cross. Was there ever such a love as that? 
when he could have been rescued and taken back to heaven and to set on his throne, but he didn't. He said, no, I'm doing it for the joy that is set before me because he saw that there would be a gathering in the generations to come of a people for his name that would make up his body. He saw this room here today. He saw you sitting here, listening to his word being preached. He saw the day that we will reign with him and his kingdom forever. So he's inviting each and every one of us to do something. You have to do something. The blessing is in the doing. You have to do something. Just like Jacob's prophetic act, this is an act of supernatural power. A prophetic act is more than a spoken word of prophecy or a word of knowledge that I talked about earlier. It's an action, something we do under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit as a step of faith and as an act of obedience to release the power, the presence, and the victory of God into a situation. What I'm saying is that the physical obedience of a prophetic act brings about powerful, a powerful spiritual release. And I want to show you another prophetic act. And I have a picture of this. This right here is my baptism. When I was 14, my dad has the awesome haircut like me, right here on the right, and my grandpa with the awesome hair. I didn't get that inheritance. They are both baptizing me when I was 14. I thought I was 13, but I asked my mom if she had a picture and she sent this to me, and she has the date written on it, so I can't, I can't. <laughs> I got saved when I was 13, and the next summer is when I got baptized when I was 14. So I got baptized when I was 14. I had no idea what I was doing. I, everything that we've talked about today, like I've told you when I was 13, and I gave my heart to the Lord and born again, and then I got baptized, I had no idea the power that was in that right there. Just like Jacob giving the double inheritance, I had no idea what my dad was doing. I had no idea what my grandpa was doing. I knew something amazing was happening, but I had no idea. I did not know this word. I didn't know about Ephraim and Manasseh. I did not understand that. I did not understand the Father's blessing. But you know who did? My dad knew. I know my grandpa knew. They knew how powerful this moment was, and I would never forget it. I will never forget that day. This is a, a moment in my life that is marked. The spiritual significance that I see in this picture and in that moment is the inheritance that was talked about at the very beginning of this scripture. The generational covenant double blessing that went from Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Ray Lute, the God of David Lute, the God of Matt Lute, Matthew Lute, 
<laughs> the God of Parker Lute, the God of Branson Lute, the God of Phineas Lute, the God of Felix Lute, all of my sons, it will be passed down to that generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, and until the end of time, until Jesus comes back, it will be passed down between them. That is my mission in life, to do this with my grandsons. That is a powerful moment that I only am coming to the understanding of today, this past month, when I was praying and preaching into this, I still did not understand this until I was praying and researching this. And I, the Holy Spirit, a prophetic act, told me to ask my mom for a picture. I had no idea this picture even existed. And here it is. And she's got the date on it. It's like April 26, 1998, I think. I was 14, and it took from 14 to 38, 39, for this to fully manifest in me. Those boys that are in this room that are mine will know this forever. They will know this forever. Parker and Branson, my two older sons, have already been baptized. Now, I praise God that they've been baptized. But will that be the last time that they will be baptized? I doubt it. Because if the Holy Spirit says, man, you've screwed up. We need to get back on track. And they feel an unction from the Holy Spirit and say, I need baptized. This, isn't, this can be a one-time deal, but it is not just a one-time say-all. It's done. I can be baptized today if the Lord the Holy Spirit gives me the unction to be baptized because when I come out of there, it's with power. Yeah. It's with power. Right. And for the remaining of our time, that's where I want to talk about. I want to talk about baptism. And I want to look at Jesus' baptism. In Matthew 3, 13 through 17, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John is basically saying, I am unworthy to baptize you. You need to baptize me. But Jesus says, let it now be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John conceded. Jesus didn't need to get baptized because of uncleanness. He lived a perfect, spotless life. But when he did get baptized, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, the heavens was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighted on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I believe that we can learn. I could spend the rest of my life just learning into that, that small portion of Scripture. I could preach a whole message on that. I could talk about it for days. 
you guys would be like, I want to go home. It's like, but this is how much I love this scripture because it's a story about me. I believe, or I feel, there are three different aspects of this event that Father God has highlighted to me. First, Jesus was immersed in water. Secondly, he was immersed in the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, he was immersed in the Father's love. When I grew up in church, all I heard about was water baptism. That's it. This picture, that's all I knew, water baptism. Now, was this preached? Yes, it was the same. But it was water baptism. God doesn't move in that way anymore. That's what I was taught. It's another lie of the enemy. The scripture says that Jesus came up out of the water. And this means that Jesus did not merely wash his body, his arms and legs, mimicking the activities of the temple priests. Yes, he used the river water for cleansing, but in the moment, he was completely immersed into it. This moment points to the story of the prophet Elisha instructing Naaman to go, another prophetic act, to dip in the Jordan River seven times. He had leprosy. A prophetic act, this is obedience, go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you will be healed. Naaman was healed. So Jesus is pointing back to that. Remember that, being unclean? So I just want to, that's the prophetic act moment. Baptism of water is a symbolic act of what has taken place in our lives. We are all born with a hereditary disease called sin. Sin is a heart disease that destroys us from the inside out, devastates our relationship, and separates us from Father God. When we repent of our sins, the blood of Jesus washes us clean. Baptism of water signifies an upward expression of being reconciled with our Heavenly Father. This is why I'm saying the prophetic act unleashes the power of heaven in our souls, killing the old and resurrecting the new. Have you seen our shirts, our baptism shirts, it says, made new? That's what it means. So think of it this way. We are first dunked under water, and then this reenacts our death with Christ. We literally die with Christ in, on the cross, and we are buried and entombed with him in the grave. Romans 6, Paul says it this way. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death. But the next part of this is the most powerful. We rise out of the water as Jesus rose from the tomb as a new creation. We no longer have sin nature because our old leprous man died and our new man has the righteous nature of Jesus. And even Paul says in verse 4, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So the second one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God came down from heaven and descended on us like a, like a dove, on Jesus like a dove. This is the first time, I want to I say this, this is the first time in the Bible where we can see Holy Spirit become closely associated with a person. 
In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God invoked a feeling of dread rather than love. It's like, what does that mean, Matt? The manifestation of the Spirit brought terror to the hearts of the agents. You think of the Israelites at Mount Sinai when God's voice, they were terrified of God's voice, not his presence, his voice. They're like, Moses, speak through God. We don't want that. When what did God tell them to do too before that, before he could speak to them? He told them to wash themselves for three days. Cleanse yourself. The manifestation of the Spirit brought terror to the hearts of the ancients because they tried to draw near based on their righteousness and obedience to the law. It was only the high priest who could enter the presence of God and be engulfed with the power from on high and the spirit of a holy, holy, holy God. Only the high priest once a year was allowed to have fellowship with God face to face. And only then, by adhering to the exacting standard of purification, cleansing the physical and spiritual body with water and dealing with their sins using animal sacrifice. That was the only way you can get into the presence of God in the covenant law. The high priest could do it once a year. So we see this significant moment where the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, associating himself as love for Jesus, the Son. So we can understand the amazement of John the Baptist when he saw the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist had the spirit, the mantle of Elijah, the spirit of Elijah. He was a prophet. So even John the Baptist himself had never experienced the Holy Spirit's presence. Now it says that John was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, but experienced the expression of the Holy Spirit. He had not experienced that. So he described it as having the charismatic characteristics of a dove coming down slowly and gently on top of Jesus and forever dwelling with his son with the son of God we also must understand that the spirit did not only abide with Christ but the bible says that Jesus was filled with the holy spirit in full measure the holy spirit was not only above him but the spirit was also with him wherever he went and the holy spirit was in him in other words the Spirit surrounded Jesus and flowed through Christ. This explains why Jesus called this expression, this experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you hear us talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is what we mean. It's the power of God. It is his presence. It is him expressing himself through us. The power, the manifestation, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Jesus coming through us. So the third aspect that I want to focus on is the event where Father God audibly speaks. We see this two times in the scriptures. I talked about it in my sermon last year about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but all, God does this again. He does it twice, but he's the audible voice of God he says, I'm pleased to announce to those who are able to listen that this was his son whom he loved and whom he was well pleased. The thundering voice of the father, the same thundering voice 
from Mount Sinai was overjoyed and full of love just looking at his son, Jesus. Just like the water and the spirit baptism that came before, the fathers loved, enveloped Jesus and covered him from within and without. The father's love overwhelmed Jesus and flooded his inner being. Jesus' test in the wilderness following his baptism, like Aaron talked about last week, was the test of sonship. Jesus as a man needed the affirmation of his father, Father God, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. What was the first thing Satan hit him with? Aaron talked about this last week. When he went into the wilderness, what's the first thing that he hits him with? If you are the son of God, this is the same temptation he gives me and you. If you are the son or daughter of God, like Jesus, we must know our identity as a son and be entrusted with the supernatural release of the kingdom of God here on earth. If Satan can get us to doubt our identity as sons and daughters of Father God, then we continuously strive for approval and acceptance to operate out of the position of a slave instead of a son. A slave works for approval. They don't even get a paycheck. They work for approval, but a son receives an inheritance. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a son? If you're here today, and none of this makes no sense to me, or sense to you, you're like, it makes sense to me. All of this makes sense to me. I hope it does. <laughs> if you're here today, and you haven't, like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Matt. Like, you're, you're saying I'm a son or I'm a daughter. I don't even know what that means. Let me tell you what it means. It begins with asking Jesus into your heart and dedicating the rest of your life to following him. Jesus said the simple act of giving up your will and taking on the will of your heavenly father enacts a spiritual birth that is described as becoming born again. What I was talking about when I was 13, that is what I'm talking about. The next step is called repentance, and it begins by confessing any sin that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind when you are talking to him, including unforgiveness that you have for other people. Once you have confessed your sin, it's important that you forgive the people, like I talked about earlier, in your life who have hurt you and betrayed you or disappointed you. This process of submitting your will to your heavenly Father's will, connecting with Holy Spirit, confessing your sins, and cleansing up your messes isn't a one-time event. Like I said earlier, this is a mindset in the Spirit, the way in which you will manage your life in God. So being baptized is one of those ways, the act of obedience, of following Jesus. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. It's essential to understand the massive ramifications of baptism. This simple act of obedience unleashes the power of heaven 
on you. I want to close with this today. I know I've talked a lot about fathers, a lot about sons. All of this has been about identity. Aaron has spoke before about this one scene from the Lion King. When Rafiki goes to Simba and says, you don't know who you are. And he takes him on a journey and he gets to the water. And he says, look, what do you see? And he looks and he sees himself. And he says, look closer. And when he looks closer, he sees his father, a great king. Disney literally steals this from the scriptures. This is the same thing as Jesus' baptism. The heavens open and they hear a voice and it says, he says to his son, remember who you are. And what does he say to him? You are the son of a king. You are my son. This is the same thing that it says in here. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High. You are a king and queen. You are co-heirs in Christ. You are joint heirs with Christ. God has put you before Christ, just like Ephraim and Manasseh with Jacob. He has put you before Christ. This is who you are. And today, specifically for fathers, we need to be more open. Fathers, I want you to learn from my mistakes. The mission in life that God's given me to be a father to sons and sons to fathers. Sometimes it takes a son to show the father. Last night, my dad came up here. I had my dad come up here and pray a blessing over all of us. That was more for me than it was for anybody else. Sometimes it takes a son to coax the father. Come on. And I get the blessing from that. That was an unction. Holy Spirit told me before the church service started, have your dad pray over everybody, the, the whole congregation. I was like, I don't know, that's weird. My dad will, of course, like all the obedient stuff that God gives me is weird. It feels weird to me. It feels, I'm sure these things inside of you feels weird. But us as fathers, we need to be more open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to show our sons and daughters the heart of God the Father to pass down the Father's double blessing to the next generation and to the next and the next and the next and the next. This is so important. I don't want you to miss it here. All of this is the inheritance that our fathers, our patriarchs paid for. We need to forget the patterns that we've been hooked into for so long, the mindset that says it has to be done this way, the restrictions in our minds that tell us you couldn't do it because it wasn't acceptable in the church. 
me asking my dad to come up here and blessing, bless the church where I, the church I grew up in to have an outside speaker come in and bless without giving approval, that would have been unacceptable. Same way with me on my face on worship. It would be unacceptable. Dancing in church, unacceptable. These are patterns of thinking that is not in the scriptures. He asked for undignified worship. I was told to keep my clothes on. Because <laughs> I had made the comment that if the Holy Spirit tells me to take off my shirt, I will take off my shirt. And I said, keep your pants on. This is what Ruth told me. I don't think Holy Spirit would ask me to do that, but I'm just saying. Undignified worship. Undignified praise. Undignified. Because we're afraid of what people will think. So us as fathers, have, I have, we have to show our sons and daughters, this is how it's done. It's not from traditions of the past. It's not this thinking that we were, it's not this mindset that we were taught to think. It's the mindset of Christ. It's the mindset of the scriptures. It, what, it's what it says in here to do. That's what I'm going to do. No ends, ands, buts, whatever. This right here is everything. This is my inheritance, and this is what I live by. I love this word. This says Ray B. Lute, Reverend Ray B. Lute on there. This is my inheritance, not this book. This book, I love this book, yes, but the words inside of it that are inscribed, circumcised to my heart, in my mind, my will, my soul, my emotions. I want every word of this to be in here. That way the enemy cannot come against me. I know what is a lie, a deception, and oppression. I know what it is. As soon as it comes up, because I have this so instilled inside of me that there is no doubt the word of God. When I hear his word, I know it's true because it's in here. And it's good. It's good. And his voice is a good and loving voice. He loves me. I am his own. So Abraham's blessing and his promise, this all extends to every family on earth. By faith, as we believers experience Abraham's blessings of being in the family of God, we believe by faith, just as Abraham believed by faith, faith that it is, was created to him as righteousness. So today, as we close, we're going to play a song we're going to worship, and it's the blessing. And as we close, if any of this hits you, if the Holy Spirit was stirring inside of you for baptism of water, that you feel like, I need to be cleansed, I need to, all of this old needs to die, and I need to come up new, come up and get baptized today. If you want a feeling of the Holy Spirit, if you're feeling I want that. I want that presence of God to overflow out of me. We'll do an activation. We will pray. Our ministry team will be up here. Our pastors will be up here. We will pray over you. 
if you want a baptism of love. Everything that I've said today, the sonship, the daughtership, it's all yours. You have to take it. The baptism of water, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it all is in. It all is worthless without knowing who you are. And you are loved. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High. And He loves you. And He is so proud of you. You are His. This is something that I keep praying over my boys over and over and over and over. I cannot tell them enough. You are mine. And I love you. And I am so proud of you. I want that to be beaten into them where they have no, I, no doubt within them that they are my son. And this is the same way that God, Father God, has shown me. He has to beat it in me. He has to keep repeating it over and over. When I doubt, when I have a hard day, he's like, come on, man. He's my champion. He champions me. I, I feel like I'm his favorite. And you might hear me say, you know, God really loves me. He loves me the most. I'm like John in the Gospels. It's like the one that Jesus loves. I'm like the one that Father God loves. It's me. He loves me. And when I say that, I don't want you to get discouraged because that's not true. He doesn't love me more He doesn't think I'm his favorite. It's because I know my identity as a son. And each one of you, that is the baptism of love. That is your identity. You are loved. You are his. And he is proud of you. No matter what you've done. No matter where you've came from. No matter anything. There's no ands, ifs, buts with God. It's all one, and it all points to Jesus and to the cross, that he loves me. Yes, he loves me, because that Bible tells me so. And as we close this song during worship, come up. If you're feeling stirred at all, come up for ministry. But listen to this first verse and every verse and chorus and bridge that comes after this. Every one of these are scriptures. These are all promises. These are all inheritance. The first verse is what Moses, what God told Moses to tell the high priest, how to mark them with my name. This is how you bless them with my name. He says, in the first verse it says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace. You are all marked with his name. You are all marked with Father God, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three. By the grace of Jesus Christ, by the love of Father God 
and the power of Holy Spirit. You are blessed. You are blessed. Pray this over your kids. Fathers, instill this into the next generation. Please, please instill this into the next generation. Show them the Father. Show them His face by obeying His will and what He tells you to do. Remember, our God is a Redeemer. His name is Redeemer. He will redeem anything.